Good afternoon and welcome to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Simon Tishko, with what could possibly, just possibly, be the final Isotopica, at least in this present series, because Isotopica is what's known as being rested, which is a lovely human resources speak for we're not on next week, but hopefully we'll be back soon. Anyhow, let's get on with today's Isotopica. So here on Isotopica today, I'm really happy to be sitting with an old friend of mine called Bob Kingdom. And Bob Kingdom is known throughout the world for writing and performing a most amazing series of one-man shows, notably uh, An Evening with Truman Capote, Dylan Thomas, Stan Laurel, Elsa Maxwell, and presently the Duke of Windsor. Um, they're remarkable, remarkable events, remarkable theatrical events. Um, we'll go into that later, but just now I've got this guy sitting next to me who is all of these people, and under the hat is actually the Duke of Windsor's haircut. So on today's show we have the Duke of Windsor's haircut and Mr. Bob Kingdom. So that's when we record now. So we just, like, that's catching all our conversation right. really nicely. And if we actually wanted to do some really, suddenly you wanted to go into character, you'd probably go really up close like this. Right. So Bob. We're up close now. Yes. We're gathered around a microphone in my studio. Mm, good for and it. It's yeah. actually really, really nice and quiet. And I've brought you here today for a reason. Mm. I had a phone call last week from an old friend of mine who was actually phoning up about the radio show the week before last. And he was talking about a film he made. In the process and during that conversation, I mentioned that you were performing one of your one-man shows in Bristol. And I suggested that Rufus, Mr. Davis as we know him, and his wife, Tracy, take a friend or two and go and see you perform. Hmm. They did that. I then got another phone call from Rufus. And in his gorgeous voice, which I'll try a little bit to mimic, just because he's got such a Shire's accent, he went, oh, mate, he got, oh, ah, you know, he's kind of going. And he's a filmmaker, very erudite man. He said, I have to say, I was shocked. He expected to see this kind of small little provincial play. Instead, he said, a friend of yours, Bob, he's touched by genius. What is it he does? He writes it. Not only does he write it, he remembers it. Not only does he remember it, he performs it. He holds that stage for an hour and a half. Flawless, riveting, completely took him by surprise. The list of um, jolly good things he kept saying went on and on and on. I'm going to make you blush if I tell you more, but... I thought I'd bring you to this microphone today to talk a little bit about that, because, Bob, you are a mystery. Where's mm. it all come from? Uh, well, I think after... That's all people want to know, really, is um, how do you remember all the lines? Not like uh, a great play, I enjoyed that, but how do you enjoy the li- How do you remember the lines? And I, I find that's what I ask actor friends of mine when I see a show they do. And it's a mystery. You don't inquire as to why you can remember lines. The moment you do, it's, a, it's a, an edifice that can collapse. And it's something just accepted uh, 
it's a, it's it's a fact, and it, it it the ability dwells elsewhere. I think, and it's not it's not wise to look too much into it. I suppose it's like seeing someone on a high wire. And there's an awful lot that goes into that, an awful lot that goes into it. But you just see that moment they can put one foot in front of the other and mm. seem quite brave. And it, it, it appears like a high, high wire act that you do, actually. It is to, to, to come along as a member of the audience. It's kind of breathtaking to see someone hold the stage as someone else mm. in character for so long. But... Anyway, you don't want to. You don't want to go into that. Don't want to go into the details. I, the, the, my favourite, one that I don't like. Is people say, "How did you think of that?" Hmm. You go, I, I, I "Just look at the work. Look at the work." It's like, it? what would you say to that man on wire? You say, "How do you do this?" He said, "Well, you know, yeah. one foot and then another foot, one foot in front of the other." So, give give us a quick bit of history. I've known you for coming up to about twenty years now, mm. maybe a little bit more, and. I first came across you actually on stage in the Truman Capote talk show, which mm. was produced by Eric Clapton. It was that little bit of extra glamour that got me along, because I'm a sucker mm. for glamour. Right. Um, but uh, you'd been doing this much longer and a long time before Eric Clapton came along, hadn't you? Mm. Well, I was, uh, I was doing Dylan Thomas, and he came to see that and uh, at the Lyric Hammersmith, and then he... Um, and he came again. He came. He came to see the last performance as well of, the, of that run. And he brought some people with him. And then, then he read about the um, um, when I was doing the Truman Capote show in Edinburgh uh, in '93 or '94. And uh, he read some reviews. And he said, "When can I see this?" And I said, "Oh, it's always a question of money." And he said, "Well, if I can," his phrase was, "If I can." Uh, Oil the wheels. Mm. So I said, oil it will. Oil the wheel. Oil it will. So then we did um, do it in New York. We did it uh, in the village. I did Truman Capote one night and then Dylan Thomas the other night. Uh, for uh, Where was that? In? In, uh, <coughs> uh, in the uh, village. In the village in New York. Ah. I think the village has been Port Merion, sorry. Uh, and uh, we had the first, we had a first night party in the uh, White Horse Tavern, and that was good. And they cleared the whole of one bar, and there was just Eric and myself sat uh, one side of it, and the the, the other side of the wall was completely covered with um, photographers, and it was just like a wall of flash. And I thought, this is what it's like for him every day. Uh huh. And that's in New York, Whitehorse Tavern. I mm. don't know these names, I'm sorry. Don't get out much. Well, that's where he's supposed to have uh, had his last tipple, Dylan Thomas. Oh, really? Hmm. Ah, so, come on, how did you, how did you come around to doing this? Because you've not always been, Bob Kingdom, one-man performer, have you? Um, I, I, I've got um, Edward Heath to thank, really. No! Because it was... Uh, in 1975, I was in, well, I was in advertising for tw over 20 years. And uh, because of the miners' strike and Edward Heath's um, resistance to the miners, um, he provided us with this uh, wonderful three-day week with candlelit meetings and uh, um, uh, and at the end of the world at the time. And uh, so 
a lot of people were fired. And I was in an agency and they fired 80 people and, and I was one of them. Someone came to my desk and said, can I see you about your pension as you're leaving tomorrow? I said, uh, pardon? Yes, as you're leaving. He said, oh, I'm a bit previous. Am I? I said, yes, you are previous. And uh, anyway, so as a result of it, I'd always worked, I'd always worked for, you know, I thought that work, Welsh work ethic, that you, you've got to work for people. That's how you do it. And, uh, but then I was, uh, I thought, I don't like doing this, working for other people, going up in the lift every day and saying, how are you? Or how are you this morning, especially if you were pissed the night before. And, uh, <laughs> And I found that it was, uh, I mean, anyway, when it comes down to it, any, any fool can write a bit of copy. But um, I, so I started putting, um, um, uh, well, I, I was almost doing voiceovers because I used to write commercials about, for which I could do the voice. And, uh, and what, what, like what, no, name, give us a clue, what sort of ones? What, what sort of commercials? Uh, what sort of products? Uh, oh. Voiceovers. Oh, go on. Well, I, um, just out of curiosity, because it's something you've never told me about. Well, we used to do. Uh, it was I used to do. Um, I used to do lots of those. We used to. Uh, I used to be on people's. Um, um, uh, at, the, at the time, you know, I knew people in in, in agencies who have television producers who who have people in their heads who can do um, uh, voices, and, and so I was I was in their heads at the time, and then they they leave, and then someone else comes in, who, and you, you are not in their head, so you you know you kind of go out of the, out of the business. But I was looking in a, in a diary um, uh, in the eighties, and I so I was somewhere every day. I was um, in a studio in uh, in uh, Berwick Street, then I was one in Water Street, and I was nipping around to some, and we'd be doing David Jason and people like that, and um, David Tate and all these um, uh, you know Michael, uh, all these voiceover people, and. Um, uh, so I, um, so then I thought, well, I, I, I used to do Dylan Thomas in, at parties, and people, people say, you, you know, you're, uh, you're urinating this against the wall just by, you're wasting this, and so I... You know, you're pissing it away by just doing it drunk, yeah. drunkenly at parties, yeah, is it? Yeah, that's right, do your Dylan. Okay. And, uh, that's, that's how, um, and I, I've read... Subsequently, that's how lots of people started. I mean, Barry Humphrey started Edna, doing Edna in the in the in the, the camper van when they were all going. He was in a, in like a repertory and they're going from place to place, mm. and uh, and he he would uh, entertain them by doing this uh, this funny housewife, and uh, so it starts like that. And um, Joyce Joyce Grenfell used to do it at, at parties, and Ruth Draper. All the, a lot of these people used to who do one man shows started doing that. And so I I um, so uh, Molly Parkin was very helpful then, and I. She said, um, you know, why don't you get a, put a, things, a few things together, do, put the poems together and, you know, and uh, uh, do it at the Arts Club, Chelsea Arts Club. So that's the first time I ever did um, Dylan Thomas was at the Chelsea Arts Club in the dining room and we, uh, I just, and then I had a wig made and, uh, and mm. so it sort of takes off. You kind of grew organically. Mm. When was that in the Chelsea Arts Club? Uh, that would have been, oh God, 82, 83. Okay. And it's taken me all over the world, and uh, uh, subsequently, free. You have. You've travelled. You, uh, you've travelled over the world by doing your party piece, basically. Mm. That sounds a little. No, that sounds demeaning of it, because it's what what started as your party piece grew into a career, as such, that's taken you all over the world, and. You won one of the big awards at Edinburgh Festival, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, Fringe First Award for um, um, Truman Capote. 
and I enjoy. I mean, I, I, the reason I do them, uh, one of the reasons I do is, is, is I can. If I was just an actor and I couldn't write, I mean, I would just act. But I, because I can write as I can write as well, I'd be daft not to uh, do um, uh, demonstrate the, the two things mm. uh, on the stage. And so I found I could, uh, um, uh, and I enjoyed writing that from Capote. Then, uh, then I wrote one about um, Elsa Maxwell and J. Edgar Hoover called uh, Elsa Edgar. Who's Elsa Maxwell? Uh, she, was a, she was this amazing party giver. She was, uh, she was a large lady, uh, you know, um, um, a podgy lady. And I was looking at, I thought it'd be nice to do a woman. So I looked at the usual suspects of people like uh, would be might be interesting like um, um, you know Dorothy Parker and Hedda Hopper and I saw this photo this little this little this photograph of this woman uh, Elsa Maxwell I thought well God I, I could look like her so I I, I threw all uh, any vanity to the, in, you know threw it out of the window and I, I admitted to myself that I could look like Elsa Maxwell there's there's a, bi a biography has just come out called Inventing Elsa Maxwell, and it's all, it's all in there. She was an extraordinary person. She could, the main thing is she could play the piano, and so she, she was always the center of attraction, and she had perfect pitch. She, she, could, hear a, she could hear an opera, th uh, you know, she could hear a piece of music, and she could play it straight away. She could, uh, it was perfect pitch that uh, a lot of musicians don't, some musicians don't have, but, uh, but, but uh, really envy people who do. And uh, so that she was, uh, she started um, giving um, parties, and, other people would lend, like enter entertaining the um, Manhattanites, uh, but well, you know, with more money in a sense. And that she just had to keep them endlessly entertained. And she'd have these fancy dress parties, costume balls, and she used to have things at the Plaza, the um, April in Paris ball, which was very, very, very famous and successful, and the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, people like that. You know, she used to uh, entertain them. And uh, so, but then I, uh, when I was thinking, so I thought, right, do a show about about uh, uh, her, and I can look like her. The main thing is, if I can look and sound like someone, that's how I start. I mean, if if if, if it's doing a. I wouldn't do a show about a very tall person or someone whose voice I couldn't uh, uh, capture. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I thought, right, we've got Elsa Maxwell, there we are. And at the time, a book came out about uh, J. Edgar Hoover that uh, the suggestion was that he used to uh, uh, fond of cross-dressing. Yeah, that was a revelation. Yeah, so I thought, Edgar Hoover cross-dressing would not look unlike Elsa Maxwell. <laughs> So I thought, why not merge these people together? And th then I looked for similarities. I thought, well, she, she was about lists. You wanted to be on her list, mm. A list, bring back to these uh, celebrity, celebrity parties. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to be in his list, his A list, because, uh, you know, you would be under, under surveillance. And, uh, and so, uh, and then the other thing, that she, she was a lesbian and he was, he was gay, obviously. Man's world, you know, no pram in the hall for him. And uh, so I... Uh, and uh, and homophobic. I mean, she was strangely um, Elsa Maxwell, strangely homophobic. Uh, although she had a boy, a, a girlfriend, um, Dicky, and uh, and then Edgar Hoover had this um, Clyde Tolson with his uh, assistant, who was with him every minute of the day, and uh, uh, and so there were the parallels that I found there. Um, were the thing that connected this show and the thing that gave it some uh, sort of uh, reason for doing it. And uh, I, also, I also thought that she would make a wonderful spy. I wonder if she was. Um, 
an FBI informant. So like, I like uh, Elvis. Yeah. So I applied for the, uh, you know, the um, to the FBI, and in fact, I received a, a big, well, an envelope um, fell on my mat uh, when I'd more or less written the, the show. But uh, I was right. She, she had, you know, she was, she had been an informant, and it said there's, there's a, a lot of it blacked out as well. They always black things out to make them look more. But redacted. Yeah, and uh, to make what they, you know, you, they are giving you more important. And uh, he, uh, so it says, um, yes, I think she would make. She knows, she knows very influential people, and she moves in all these, uh, these circles and quarters. She would make a fine. And then about six months later, there's a thing. She is, she is uh, indiscreet, <laughs> not really suitable material mm -hmm. uh, for the FBI. So she, so I was, but I was right that I, I thought, you know, she would have been good. But she did know everything. She knew, she knew everybody. Made it a, a business. To it. She, she was in love with Mira Callas, and she uh, uh, made a fool of herself with uh, Callas. But she, she was wonderful uh, in the way that she, um, when she first met Mira Callas, she was a dumpy person. She hadn't been around much, and she showed, she took her, you know, she took her. Uh, Maria Callas around and met, um, introduced her to people. She introduced the Ali Khan to uh, Rita Hayworth and things like that. You know, she was a match. Uh, you know, she was a, uh, a bit of a, a, a matching madam as well. Um, and then she had. She was she used to be on the Jack Parr show every every Tuesday. And I've met people who. Uh, it was one particular friend of mine. Uh, Jack Henry Moore, who, who, who knew in Paris, he, um, he, he, was, he was a kid, he was about seven, and uh, he used to rush to the radio and, or the television and uh, switch on to, to listen to all the gossip about where she'd been, and, uh, all, the, mm -hmm. all her indiscretions and who she'd met, who she'd met. And so she's a fascinating person, so you ought to read this book, uh, Inventing Elsa Maxwell, and there's also a chapter on my show. And, uh, uh, this uh, guy who I was doing, I was doing it in New York, and he, when he was writing the book, he came to Sam Stacks, and he came to see me in uh, in New York. Went to Joe Allen's for uh, lunch, mm -hmm. and in fact, we were sat down. We were sat at a table, just at random at, at a table, and he said, well, "Look at that," because we were talking about Elsa Maxwell. He said, "Look at that," and we looked up, and over the table was this picture of Elsa Maxwell. Amazing, as I say, doing Joe Allen's of all these celebs. Yes. Um, so she was with us in spirit. I love, I, love, I love the fact that the one-man show comes into her biography, actually. It's very postmodern of uh, mm. the reference turning into the reference, into the reference work itself. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, she, um, she had uh, and a lot of interesting people came to see that. And Dominic Dunn came to see it. And then uh, and so a lot of people were very helpful um, when I was writing it. It's interesting about people. Some people are helpful. And some people, they want you to, you know, in, in America, they certainly, they, what are you doing, what, you know, is it, are you writing a play, when can I see it? And there's great enthusiasm. Um, here I don't necessarily find that, but I, I, I met loads of people in, um, I met, um, when I was researching it, I went to New York, and I went to see um, Eleanor Lambert, who was wonderful, um, she was a, like a doyen of... Uh, Fashion. Um, she made fashion photographers uh, famous, you know, as in themselves. You know, and Diana Reel and all that that lot. And she had this wonderful. I remember this wonderful apartment overlooking the the lake <coughs> on Fifth Avenue. 
and uh, she'd been there since the war, this huge apartment where the whole floor, you know, you, the lift goes up and it stops at, uh, you know, the, the doors open, it comes out into her apartment, which I just think is so chic. Uh, and then CZ Guest, who was married to Winston Guest of uh, Winston Cigarettes, and she was wonderful. And, uh, and then this Jack Parr, I wanted to get some um, stuff of, uh, of Elsa on his, sh- his show and uh, his, um, her regular spot. And uh, you know, and I, I, I applied for that, and they said, well, you, you, uh, Mr. Parr doesn't allow stuff. And, and CZ Guest said, oh, you know, uh, well, aren't some people, you know, uh, wonderful how helpful they are? But she was wonderful. She she gave me her time, and uh, uh, they're they're both dead now. And uh, but it was it's, it's wonderful to think back on those things. How people do how people do help you, and how what they say leads you into a certain direction, and how my, how you might other people might have taught you know told you things that led you into a direction, that, but they weren't they weren't. Uh, uh, it wouldn't um, release information, wouldn't tell you things. And I think it's a wonderful thing about handing on, handing on information. When people die, that's it. My, my, like when my father died, I thought, God. And it was overnight. It was, um, I, uh, it was um, very sudden. And he spent all his life worrying about how, how he was going to die. And then he dies, uh, you know, uh, overnight. And uh, I thought, hang on, I, 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 there's more things to ask you. And, uh, but I think you think that in retrospect. I, I, I doubt whether there, there are things that uh, you really want to ask. I think your memories are the things you mm. ask a que- answer questions. I remember really. when my mother died, the same thing. I asked my sister Christine about a particular thing that my mother would talk about and would have known um, a family um, tree thing. And my sister went, oh, I don't know. And I realised that information was lost because the last person that would know that was actually my mother. So there's a bit of information where that actually hasn't uh, any yeah. real import. I don't know. It's the nature of existence. Yes, I, I think they're like photographs as well. The way th- the f- f- photographs bring things to life, but not the same as uh, a fact somehow. So tell me what you've been working on recently is this royal piece. How did that? How did it come about? Well, again, I. I I, I, I am. I only start when I know I can do the person. I, I knew I could sound like him, being uh, the Duke of Windsor. Duke of Windsor. Yes, Mrs. Simpson and I met in the fall of 1931 over a weekend at the House of Friends near Melton Mowbray in Leicestershire. She had a terrible cold and was not looking or feeling her best. Our first conversation was surprisingly stilted and banal. It ranged from the lack of central heating in British country homes and the ruggedness of the British climate. You have disappointed me, sir, she said. I had hoped for something more original from the Prince of Wales. And she moved away. He had this amazing uh, uh, Cockney American voice. I mean, American in the sense that he'd say banal, mm-hmm. not banal. Uh, and and it, and it's and the Cockney, uh, no, you know, he say no, um, and I'm sure he partly did it to. I mean, the influence of living in America and also being married to an American mm. uh, American woman. But I, I'm sure he did it to annoy people as well. I'm sure he irritated his father. And in fact, in the audience, um, a friend of mine came to see when I was doing this show in Bristol last week, and uh, there was a good bloke in the audience. When I say banal and words like that, 
in an American way, he would. <laughs> he didn't like it. Soft A. Soft, soft A. A. Soft A. But it, 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 what you were doing was the accurate version. Yeah. Do you know of the existence of Hollywood English? Um, there was an article last week which just touching on what you said. Um, when you think of Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and these various stars of screwball comedies, mm. that black and white thing, the particular way they talked, it was this kind of, it wasn't American, it wasn't English, it was terribly proper. Mm. And I've just always taken it for granted that there must be some place in Americana where that's how it's spoken. But the reality is there was there is no place in America where that's spoken, except within a certain class of boarding school and theatrical schools where this particular form of English, this mid-American mm. English, well, it is, is kind of from received pronunciation coming yeah. into it, RP. It's, it's, it has no American accent, but it has a way of saying words in an American way, and it is the soft A, like banal. I mean, you, you listen to a, a Cary, Cary, Cary Grant, he'd say Grant. Well, okay, Grant, it's the Grant thing. And mm. it's in a way, the, it's the American accent, not trying to sound pompous like Grant. Yes, Grant. Uh, Grant. You, 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 just, lo yeah, you just, just lose, you take the edge off things. It's quite pleasant yeah. when you say it that way. It's and quite I can pleasant. quite see, when you say Grant, it irritates the shit out of people, doesn't mm. it? Of, uh, of, we, it makes it sound so pompous. Grant. Oh, Grant. Um, but, I mean, they, they take it to, to extremes. But there's no accent. There's no American accent. There's no place accent. There's no... Um, uh, you, you couldn't tell where it comes from because it is stateless, it's placeless, uh, but, it, but it sounds American. And, 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 and a lot of the people who uh, completely uh, represent America are all English, like Bob Hope and Cary Grant, you know, they're all English. In the way that someone represents uh, Englishness so much, like George Sanders, who was um, Lithuanian or, or, or somewhere. Who's George Sanders? I George Sanders. I don't know, see, that's a character. All About Eve? You've never seen All About Eve? Uh, of course, the film. But yeah. George Sanders was what, director? Jo uh, 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 DeWitt, what was his name? Uh, something DeWitt. He starts off, it's a wonderful um, uh, preamble uh, to the, the talking about, um, like a retrospective of, uh, of talking about the, um, the characters in the film. And uh, this woman who comes into uh, Bette Davis's uh, uh, world and uh, takes over. But uh, no, he, uh, he, and uh, you know, Lawrence Harvey, people are very, uh, it's strange how they can sum up uh, a place. By, by, without being of, of that place. Mason. James Mason. Well, James, no, James Mason from, um, from Huddersfield. <laughs> I, I had a marvelous son. I had a wonderful, I've had two amazing uh, things happen to me. Uh, one, I was going up to uh, up north somewhere doing a show, and I was on the train, and I was reading an article in the, in, it would have been The Guardian, and on James Mason, and it said James Mason spends uh, uh, two weeks in this country every year. He spends um, a, a year in, uh, sorry, every year. He spends a week in London, and then he spends a week up north in Huddersfield, <laughs> where he's from, and uh, uh, seeing his friends and relatives. Right? And there's, so I thought, oh, that's nice. Anyway, I'm just finishing reading this article, and I. You wouldn't think this was possible. The train pulls in uh, to Huddersfield Station and framed in my window <laughs> is James Mason standing on the platform <laughs> with the same airline bag over his, 
his shoulder that is in the photograph. Uh -huh. And I thought, well, thank you. Thank you, God or whoever. No. Simply the way things are. Yeah, and wonderful. And they're, uh, a similar one. When was that? When was that? That was, um, that was in probably uh, the, the 80s uh, sometimes. So it was before he died then? Well, I, I think he was probably before he died. Yes, yes before he caught his train. Uh, his final train. Final train. Uh, then the other time, I was, um, I was reading, uh, I was in uh, New Row off St. Martin's Lane, and I was reading, uh, it was the Sidney Edwards column, he used to write a, a, a piece about, an, a, a, a theatrical piece about an actor on it, uh, every Friday, uh, with, a, with his review of a play, and um, uh, I, th this one was of Alec Guinness, and, uh, and I, there was a photograph of him with a, 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 a wearing a trilby and a raincoat dra draped over his arm, uh, in the photograph, and uh, uh, I looked up, and I saw coming towards me was Alec Guinness wearing that trilby with his carrying his Mac. And I thought, well, this, this article coming to life. Mm. And it said, you know, he can, uh, he can walk through London streets unrecognised. <laughs> well, I recognised him. Anyway, so he, he, then he, 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 he approached and then he, he went, we, it was in the summer, we were standing outside the pub. And then he went in, and uh, and all he could hear. And then, then it was my time to buy a round, and I went in. And all he could hear. And then he he'd left by then. And then and uh, all you could hear was, "Is Alec Guinness? You see Alec Guinness doing tonic, doing tonic." <laughs> so I mean, it, he couldn't. He wasn't as invisible as he no, thought he was. No, I had no. one. I had one moment of that a uh, couple of years ago, and I was researching a project that I'm hoping to do in the coming months or year, which is based around a Lancaster bomber. My father was a radio operator in a Lancaster bomber. And the initial part of research, I downloaded a number of movies, documentaries about the um, Lancaster bomber. And I took them to the Cotswold, went to visit my friend Stuart, where he loves World War II, quite obsessed, has issues. And we watched these documentaries, fascinating how it came from the Manchester, became the Lancaster. And um, Sunday afternoon, we decided to pop over to a village further down the road for a guess the way to the cake competition, as you do, this is the Cotswolds way. So we're bombing down a country lane and suddenly flying right above us, we got buzzed by the only remaining flying Lancaster bomber in the world. And I didn't go. No, I just went, there you go. Oh, there we are. It's almost as if you were in the car. Yeah. Because that sort of thing happens to you, but it happened to me as well, so there you go. Yes. That's relating. They're wonderful. They're things that, w when they are happening, you say, this is already a memory. This is going to be a memory. Chestnuts. I call those perfect moments chestnuts. Mm. There's all these various chestnuts from the past. Like my resonance chestnut, where I was driving down the um, Old Kent Road on my mother's first birthday after she died and I had resonance on the radio and as a country and western tune faded out they started playing my mother telling jokes and laughing hysterically from a sound piece I'd done in obscurity ten years before and I almost almost came off the road laughing with a sheer happenstance of yeah. that particular moment of her being plucked from dead obscurity into my Yeah, do you know, it's funny we talk about, talk about nice. your mother, and I, I was, uh, I remember I did, I did the Dylan Thomas show in Cardiff, and uh, at the chapter, and my, it's the time, I, the only time my mother saw me perform, my father never saw me perform, but my, my, my mother came to the, and she was in the front row with my cousin, and, uh, and at the end, 
she was the only one not clapping, my mother. And I thought, oh, it's interesting, not clapping. Mm. And then last year at the Edinburgh Festival, someone came up to me after the show and said, the last time I saw this, I was, uh, was in Cardiff and I was sat next to your mother. Yeah. And she said, that's my son up there. Oh. So, I don't know, it's interesting. You think, oh... She's probably overwhelmed. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting. I often think what people... Because, uh, you know, Quentin Crisp said, anyone getting up on the stage is... is, is uh, you're laying yourself open for embarrassment. And he, he did a review of me in The, uh, the Native, which was a, a gay magazine in uh, New York when I did the... John Thomas there, and he, he said, Mr. Kingdom equipped himself with a minimum of embarrassment. So that, that was good. Rather nice. Uh, I've got so a fabulous I, photograph of you from um, photographed in Edinburgh smoking a player's cigarette mm. with Quentin Crisp many years after he died. Do you remember? Mm. And it just, there was that moment. I was, I was up in Edinburgh with you when you were doing the festival, and you were making up for Dylan Thomas, perhaps. Mm. And you had that fabulous box, the box. It's, 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 I'll describe it, because I think it will trans, transmit nicely on radio, but to see you going off on the train to do one of your performances with this, this wooden box, it's almost like a parrot in a cage, except mm. it's a nice old wooden box, and that's your wig in this box. Yeah, on, on, a, on a head. On a head in the box. But there you were at one of the classic theatrical mirrors with all the light bulbs around it and you're, you're applying your face paint and next to you was an act going on in another part of the theatre mm. and it was Quentin Crisp next to you and I thought well look there yeah. me there's Dylan Thomas right next to Quentin Crisp so actually we, it was Be- Betty Bourne it was Betty Bourne yeah. doing Quentin Crisp but we got a beautiful photo opportunity yeah. from that I've actually got the photographs over there we'll dig those out in a while mm. pictures from Edinburgh I'll yeah, we'll, we'll have a look shall and then there? you took one of me on uh What's it called? That um, Scottish thing. On the hill. Yeah, what's it called? A, um, a seat. Arthur, Arthur's. Arthur's seat, yes. Then you took one of me on Arthur's seat. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Memories, 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 yeah, memories. Yeah. Um, I think it would be interesting to have some of your characters actually on the radio show. Mm. And we've got the choice of you either bringing them directly to the recorder we've got here, yeah. or we'll take some pre-recordings of you performing. What would you prefer, do you do think? It, do it, yeah. So Dylan, what, well, what, I, what, what would Dylan have to say about you doing it? Do you, do you do that? Do you ever use your characters, like in your party pieces, where you would have just ad-libbed them, or are you so firmly into the... Because I've had the privilege of you reading through your scripts, where you very, very quickly read through, and I understand, going back to the very first question, which is a banal question, but nevertheless fascinates us people from the other mm. side, of seeing you hold the stage for an hour and a half and reading this vast amount of dialogue in character. And I understand the process by which it's a kind of monomic, one thing leads to the next, to the next, to the next. And I've seen you, when you described music coming from somewhere in the theatre the other night and how it threw you from mm. the whole play, because you actually started in a different place from the one where you were prepared to start from. It, yeah, and it, your it, silence. You, yeah. You're not allowed your silence. Yeah. From, and you're Very the one that uh, 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 introduces something into a silence. Mm. If there's something already occupying your silence, it's very difficult. You're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. I think Dylan, I mean, Dylan, uh, 
Well, I always think of uh, Dylan saying, just he used to say, love, love the words, love the words. And I always think of that before I go on. I mean, the other, the other thing I think of, because <clears throat> um, Tony Hopkins directed, you know, the Dylan Thomas, and he wrote on the top of my script um, that I should, how I should feel before going on. He wrote, I'm a genius, my brain is on fire. You're about to see something extraordinary. If you don't like it, you can piss off. Nice, and that's um, the Tony Hopkins. Mm. So you've had some quite illustrious people around your productions, haven't you? Mm. Eric Clapton, Tony Hopkins. Do we call him Tony or Anthony? Sir Anthony. Tony. Tone. Tone? T. 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 <laughs> you? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I think of, I think of those things. There's certain things I think of uh, that, that, that um, make you know you're doing it somehow. Of course. It, it's, uh, there, uh, there's also this stuff about um, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, how he is always in the character. Mm. You know, when he's making a film and you have to speak to him, you have to say Abe, you know, even when he's in his hotel. No. Uh, morning, Abe, you know, um, uh, porridge again. Oh. Well, that's how he does it. I mean, that's how it's... it's Each it's, to their own. Yes. I mean, I, I only... I, I just feel the more I... Uh, it's, when, it's when you're in the wings and then you're not in the wings. It's, you're on the stage and that's when you're doing it. To me, that's when you... Uh, the, 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 the contrast between not doing it and doing it. I think you're more aware of, what do, of doing it from comparing it to the not doing it. And that's in a second mm. when you go on. Well, that's how it, it is for me. So there's no right, there's no right way or one way of, of, of doing it. But I do feel uh, that when I come onto the stage, I, I have the, any immersion I've done in a character has already been done in the writing. Because mm -hmm. I, I will, uh, I, I come onto the stage equipped with uh, saying words that can sound uh, uh, familiar to the voice of the person I'm doing, like the Truman Capote voice. And, uh, you know, and Truman spoke, you know, like that. And he had a, a wonderful voice that you could uh, really kind of really go, um, he'd say, do you, do you, we heard about four ages, ages of celebrity. Well, it's this, I'll tell you. Number one, who is Truman Capote? Number two, get me Truman Capote. Number three, get me somebody like Truman Capote. Number four, who is Truman Capote? And so I, I come on with, with those words. I mean, I'm defended and equipped by those words that I know I'm going to say, and also things that, uh, you know, I often thought of doing the Duke of Windsor, doing the, uh, the, um, the Truman Capote show in the Duke of, Duke of Windsor's voice. <laughs> Number one, who is Truman Capote? Number two, okay, <laughs> uh, mix them all up. Well, but, yeah, I mean, uh, from, from my point of view here, I've got a little bit of a mix-up going on, because you just did Truman Capote wearing uh, Duke of Windsor's haircut. Mm, and you're actually here wearing someone else's haircut. I know, I feel the, a real phony. And uh, I thought, um, and sometimes I thought, uh, uh, I, I forgot a shirt once, and I thought, I can't wear um, Duke of Windsor, a, a Duke of Windsor shirt for doing Dylan Thomas. People will notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange how, uh, and I, the other thing about what you wear, I, I know I've, I've got the right things to wear. Cause, like the, the Truman Capote thing, I, I, I get all my stuff from charity shops, because uh, it's a blessed place. And... Uh, 
I put it all on the bed, and it looks, I know, it looks like the person, even when the stuff's laid out on the bed. I know, it nice. looks, still looks like the person. Nice. And, um, and, uh, and with uh, Elsa Maxwell, I had a friend of mine, Jamie, made this wonderful, um, he knew exactly what pattern it was uh, to make the, uh, the dress, and also this padding, this, all this, because she was very fat, and this padding I wear. And, uh, and, you, and you put all that on the bed and it still looks like, like the person. And a wig, had a, Angie who makes my wigs, um, uh, she made me three wigs. And uh, you know, the, and w once you've, and there's, there's a different smell to a different show. The smell of Dylan is, oil, is um, spirit gum. Because Spirit gum of putting the, putting the wig on. Okay, so it's actually stuck on. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's uh, yes, it's, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's place, like well, it's made on gauze, and then you, it's the gauze that goes to your, your head, not your not the the, the hair, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's the so the smell of that is the and the smell of um, Duke of Windsor. It's the smell of um, Prince of Wales check suit. No, it's it's the smell of I think it's the smell of this. Uh, I put this bronzer on to like a permanent holiday. Okay, yeah, tan. Euro so I put I put that yeah I put that stuff on, um, but there's a, there's a definite smell to um, to the to the shows, and uh, and I, I'm I have two complicated things. I'm putting on the wig is sometimes it, it goes on its right, and sometimes oh it's too much to the left or too much to the right, and I think oh yeah, they're going to notice. No one ever notices. And people say what wig, so that's that's yes, the yes, best yes. wig, what wig. Um, but then I'm doing up this bow tie, after, you know, and uh, and I, I think, oh God, it's and they said, you know, you've got five minutes, and I'm still doing up my bow tie. So it's all these complicated things, and then little bits of oh, the other thing is little bits of double stick at the back to put the wig to the the back of your, you know your neck. Um, this toupee tape, double stick stuff, and um, uh, all, so all these fiddly bits to be toupee doing. Toupee tape, that's actually a thing. Uh, yeah, to fix it to the. Uh, See, so Alec Guinness played Dylan on. Um, Broadway. Now as I was young and easy, under the apple boughs, about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Mrs. Wilberforce, some friends of mine have formed a small musical group, a string quintet in fact. Now we're looking for somewhere to practice. These rooms will suit us admirably. Uh. <laughs> what was that from? That's from the Lavender Hill mob. No. No? No. What was that from? Lady Killers. Oh my, sorry. Easy to mix the two oh, up, no? Yeah. I thought it was wonderful, Alakins. Very much <clears> so. <throat> yeah. Do Everything I... he does is uh, has been thought out. Do I have a sense of um, there could be a evening with Alec Guinness in the future? No, I don't know. I, I it's because you must be at that point now where you're thinking of the next. Yes, of. people say that. What, what, well, well, it was like two what are you doing years next? ago when you said you, know, you, you came. We were discussing over tea, and you talked about Duke of Windsor. Mm. Well, there was a time when I didn't know I was going to do the Duke of Windsor, and it didn't exist. I love the idea of producing something from nothing. I mean, yes. that's that's what you do, and it's, yes. it's wonderful. And um, so I, I, I'm thinking now about uh, who, who I could do next. Have you ever dropped one? Have you ever started to research and actually made any progress along the path to, 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 to creating something that's... Uh, no. I guess it, it gets edited out before you even get to that stage then. Yes, yes, I don't think I have. 
I think suggesting I, Tommy Cooper once, but you just you know no, you said no, the height no, thing. No, loads of people doing that. <laughs> I'm joking, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did Stan Laurel. That was good writing oh that. Oh my, I forgot about Stan Laurel. Mm. You didn't. You don't perform that one anymore, do you? No, no. I mean, I, I've got uh, I've got three shows in my head now. I can do Dylan, Truman Capote, and Duke of Windsor. So if you were to revive Laurel, you'd actually have I'd to learn it I'd, again. Yeah, and uh, Elsa Maxwell, I'd have to relearn that. That's um, interesting. I wonder if you've got an expanded part of your brain, as in taxi drivers with the knowledge. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Yes. <laughs> yes, take me to, uh, take me to your one-man show. So it is... Um, the brain is a wonderful thing, um, but uh, it's it's so amazing. It's just best not to use it to think about it too much. Mm. You crowd the brain with, with with too much. In fact, you can play tricks with yourself. Uh, when I'm doing a show, very often I can say you do. A little gremlin says you don't know this play. How can you remember all this? You don't know this. People are going to ask you afterwards. Oh, how would you remember all that? And you're not going to know. And, and, and you can, you can, talk, you can almost stumble. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, and you say, get, get away. Get away. Nice. Mm. I think we've reached a nice gap now, haven't we? Yeah. We'll stick some characters in on a later recording, perhaps. Mm. Excerpt, shall we say. Anything else you'd really like to say right now? Should we go for some fresh air? Uh, what were you... Um, you said... Oh, that's the sort of thing we could use on the play, on the, on the show. I don't remember. When I was saying something. I don't Isn't it strange that. what... Um, uh, talking about the brain, what is, what is there, what comes into it and what doesn't? And m m maybe what doesn't uh, shouldn't and what... Uh, you know, and what does needn't have. I think one just has to accept it, what is. Yeah, but uh, the it's a, the uh, spontaneous uh, is uh, is an entity in itself, which uh, sometimes is is all we can expect. Profundities. Hmm. Well, at the moment, um, I know that I'm talking to you on Resonance FM as. Um, it, well, it, it's not Dylan Thomas. Um, it's, um, it doesn't sound like Dylan Thomas. I mean, maybe in, in my head it does, but not um, vocally. But I do remember uh, a man called John Malcolm Brunning who organized Dylan Thomas's Tours of America, and I said to him, why are you involving yourself with this man of such a disheveled reputation touring him across America? And I said, it'll end in tears. And then, point of bitter, please. Do you mind? I am talking to my friend Simon on Resonance FM. You have no resonance. I have resonance. I'd like to interpose at this point and say that to speak with resonance is one of the highlights of my, of my career. And to be able to say to the listening audience um, how wonderful it was that um, 
But Bob heard my voice on the radio all those years ago, and that I'm able to be heard still. Because there's nothing strange to say, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, of me on film, moving, moving film. No one thought to film me moving. There are still photographs and sound recordings, but nothing else. No face-to-face -face with John Freeman. No, what do you think of this, Mr. Thomas? Speaking in my own voice, always the declamatory. And death shall have no dominion type voice. Why is this? It would have been nice to have me saying things, replying to questions, what I really did think. But we'll never know. Well, <laughs> well, there we are. We will never know because you died before I did. And, um, you know, I said to him, it'll end in tears. And, well, of course, it did. So, um, I mean, a lot of what we do comes from formative experience, isn't it? Stuff in childhood. And I remember you telling me once about your father not looking you in the eye. Mm. Does that make sense? Do you remember that? Yes. Yes, it, um, it, it's strange how things are revealed, but years, years later. Um, I, um, my mother says she, um, and it's also as a bearing on what I do in uh, people I assume, is that um, she said, my mother said, from very early age, I could see that you were a copier. She said, I'd see you looking at people and, uh, and copying them, mannerisms, things like that. Well, my father had a stammer, and uh, and he was also, he, he wore glasses. He looked like James Joyce, I was thinking. He, he wore those glasses, and uh, he had one eye. And um, he never really, eye contact was something I don't really remember. I remember him as a man sitting down, reading in a chair, reading Dickens, mainly, Charles Dickens. It was not, he bought Dickens when he was quite young, the whole... Uh, and they're on the bookshelf and there's always one missing like a tooth extracted like a front tooth gone tooth. and um, uh, so this thing of not um, I, I always thought that he wasn't really interested in what I did or uh, or me and uh, years later um, my mother I was I'm pushing her in her wheelchair and uh, she just came out with it. She said, I could always see you're a copier, and I didn't want you to copy um, Dad's stammer. And I could see you um, the way I saw you looking at other people and copying them. So I said to Dad, I said, when you're talking to him, when you're talking to Robert, don't look at him. And I thought, gosh, there's a little, you know, there's a, a conclusion, really, of... Uh, of something that had almost occurred to me and uh, completely opposite. In fact, it was a loving gesture, it was a loving thing that I wouldn't uh, copy his stammer. A very loving Rather, thing that led to a lot of insecurity but also led to a lot of creativity, perhaps. Yes. Well, I think in, the, in that thing of making things, that's love. I mean, I, we, I, lots of people of my generation, we didn't go and say, we love you and oh, love. 
you know, and hugging and, uh, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot of love in that making stuff for you, making things for you. Mm -hmm. My mother up through the night, or not through the night, but I mean uh, 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 in the evening, um, working away, making shirts, making trousers, making, uh, every year she'd make something, she'd make a, um, a as a Christmas present, like um, a guard's outfit or a policeman's outfit, an outfit she'd make me, like, like you know, a cowboy outfit. And uh, that's love, that's, uh, it's far deeper than, you know, of course, very often, love needs to be expressed, but uh, but uh, if you if you're not of the generation where it's corny to to sort of to do that, and um, but it's it's ta it's it's uh, it goes without saying, sort of love. But it, in a way, it needs to be said. But um, um, that didn't you know that necess doesn't necessarily occur, occur to people. Um, but it's expressed in other ways of, of making things with love, and um, so I, I always have great feelings for that, and feelings for my my childhood, and uh, you know, uh, and what it gave me, which is everything. Beautiful. I've been listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Simon Tishko, on what could possibly be the final Isotopica, which in fact is the final Isotopica in this present series, and who knows what the future will bring. We have hours and hours of fabulous programming still to come, which we're looking forward to bringing you sometime in the near future. And in the meantime, you can check out all the previous episodes of Isotopica, which are available through iTunes and also on my website which has details of future projects and present fine art practices which is as ever www.theculture.net thank you very much for all your feedback keep the messages coming and look forward to hearing more Isotopica bringing more Isotopica to you here on Resonance 104.4 FM sometime in the future. This is me, Simon Tishko, resting briefly, I hope, and hopefully be back here sometime soon. Bye for now.
Maker is sorrow, the devil is hate A dream is tomorrow, a fool cannot wait An artist is beauty that rises above To look in the eyes of an angel An angel is love Love A mother is giving, a baby is need a garden is living where doubt is a weed A man made of truth wears the sign of the dove Who knows when he speaks to an angel An angel is love, Learning, though ignorance blitz Passion keeps burning through heat in a kiss Devotion is someone who wears like a glove And fits like the wings of an angel An angel is Hey! 